All right, well, let's jump into the message now this morning. We are finishing our series on the hidden kingdom. Can't believe it's been 13 weeks. Most of the year we've been in this series. And so we're gonna spend a little bit of time together and I'm not gonna try to recap the whole thing. I just, I wanna really spend the morning emphasizing kind of the core element of this whole idea of Jesus' kingdom that is available to us. And my, my hope and prayer more and more in my own life, and I'm believing this for our church family and the church at large, is that we would live in greater and greater awareness and also we would surrender our lives in increasing ways to the rule of Jesus in our midst. That I would let him be king in my life so much so that it then permeates where I go. It permeates this place, this church, this group of people that would rub off on those around us, our community around us. We need a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. I, I need that on a random Wednesday morning. Like, I don't just need my one-time moment of salvation. I need the presence of Jesus in my life. We need that. And friends, the world around us needs that. And the more that we learn to let him be king, the more easily a world in need can see him for who he really is. You can see him for who he really is. And so it changes us, but it impacts the world around us. And so I, I just, I wanna talk I talked to you guys this morning about the idea of leaven and how it, it, it works its way and it mixes in and it permeates. And that's my hope and prayer for us is that we would be people that God's kingdom permeates our lives and it spreads. So we're gonna pray one more time and we're gonna jump into this. So Jesus, would you come and speak to us this morning? You had a lot to say about your kingdom, what it was like and the invitation to all of us to surrender our lives to you to get off the throne of our lives and to give you your proper place. And Jesus, you told us everything else would fall into place when we do that. And so Lord, would you, would you speak to us this morning? God, if there are ways that we have just been missing it, God, would you, would you wake us up? Would you open our eyes to see you and to see what you wanna do in us? It's in your name we pray, amen. So um, my wife and I have just recently, for, for me, this is the second time through, and I never thought I'd have a first time through. Um, my wife and I have recently begun watching Downton Abbey with our two oldest daughters. We got any Downton Abbey watchers in here? Okay, a handful of you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so as we were wa watching this, literally this week, we come across this scene where they're all gathered for dinner, and they have these fancy dinners all the time. And... Um, they're at this dinner and they get to the moment of dessert. And so this guest in their house takes a big bite of the dessert and immediately is just, oh, oh, and like spits it out. And everybody else is looking around like, what's going on? And takes a bite. And they realize this dessert that was meant to be sweet had accidentally been topped with a handful of salt right before it came to the table. And so it just was like repulsive and caused them to spit it out. It had been seasoned incorrectly and they spit it out. Well, listen, this is, this is what I believe happens 
all too often when the world encounters the church. That the flavoring Jesus intends for us to have that would permeate us, he wants the world to taste and see that the Lord is good. And, and I worry that far too often in thinking we're representing him well, we're giving the world a really sour bite. And it does more than just cause them to go, that's gross, and then move on with the meal. I fear far too often that's the taste they get. That's the glimpse they have. And so this morning, I want us to just consider our lives. I, I believe maybe there's some things for us to learn in here. I believe that. But even more than that, I want to encourage you to do that really dangerous step where you invite the Holy Spirit to just talk to you personally, to go way beyond what Pastor Jake has to say this morning. So, Lord, is there anything you want to show me, highlight to me? All right. And so let's, let's talk about this issue of God's kingdom permeating. So we have one main verse this morning. It's a very short one sentence parable that Jesus told. It's found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. It's in the midst of a lot of other parables we've explored during this series. And he simply says in Matthew 13, 33, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. See, here's how a leavening agent works. It could be yeast would be an example, like baker's yeast. It, it gets worked into the dough. It literally permeates the whole thing. It works its way through, and it's interacting with the other elements in the dough. In fact, it interacts so much with the dough that it changes the very nature, the very structure of that batch. All the elements were still there, but it shows up, it changes them, and it affects the very structure of the dough. Once it's been added and it's been mixed in, man, it's there. There's no undoing that one. It, it becomes a part of it. And so Jesus is saying, the good news for us this morning is, if we invite his kingdom, if we say yes to him, if we allow his kingdom to get worked into us, it will spread and take over and it will change the very structure of our lives. As, as Amy and I have practiced that, like it's changed the structure of our marriage and how we interact with one another. It, it changes the environment in our home. It changes how I perceive the world around me. Jesus said, my, my kingdom carries this really special quality that if, if you will invite me to be king, if you will let me get mixed into your life. See, far, far too many of us have accepted just a cultural Christianity where even the idea of church, church just means like a, a location. It means a small window of time. It means, you know, I'm gonna go sit in a room for hour, hour and a half once a week or just on Easter and Christmas or whatever. Jesus says, that's not what my intention has ever been. The gospel, the good news, is that he is present to come into our lives and to saturate all of it. And I believe a lot of our frustration in our Christian walks, a lot of our disappointment, even wondering why 
why certain things don't click. Maybe there's even times you're going, gosh, I'm trying to sing these love songs, Lord, I just don't, that's not really resonated with me right now. If we try to compartmentalize our faith into this one little corner of our life, it will not work. It doesn't work. Jesus said, what I have to offer is something that is good and it's wonderful, but I plan on taking over. I don't want to just be king over here during this little sliver of time that you give me. I want to be king. And so this is how his kingdom works. This is what it does. So I want to, I want to look at this three ways together this morning. Three things to consider about what is leavening my life. Okay? The first thing I want you to consider this morning is, are we just oblivious? Are we oblivious to what's leavening our life? Are we oblivious to what has permeated everything about me and shapes who I am? The reality is, over and over again in the scripture, leaven is actually used as an example of a, as a bad thing. Jesus uses it in all the other places as a warning. This is the only place where he associates it with God's kingdom. All the other places, it's a warning. And, and the idea is, the thing he wants us to realize is, something will permeate your life. Something or many things will come in and shape who you are, how you view yourself, how you view your place in this world, and how you interact with the other people around you. It, it will impact you. And so the very first thing he wants to do is simply say, be aware that something is leavening you. So the question is, what is it? What is it? And so here's some of the things that, that Jesus would warn us about. Um, just give you some examples, okay? Um, first of all, leaven is introduced as an idea of like a false kingdom or a false gospel. So these would be like the cultural ideas, the cultural philosophies of what's right, of what's wrong, the, the cultural ideas of what's broken in this world and how to fix them. These are the things that just sort of permeate the thinking of groups of people and give us direction, even if we don't realize it. And so he warned about this. In Matthew 16, verses 5 through 12, Jesus warned those people listening to him and following him. He warned them of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then in Mark 8, 15, he adds something else interesting. Jesus cautioned them saying, watch out, beware, or be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So he's saying, don't just be aware of things that, that look a little bit like you in the way you think. Be aware over here of like the culture around you. Like the Pharisees were more of like these religious leaders. Herod was more of a political leader. And so he's saying, watch out, be aware of what is leavening your life. What you are placing your hope in where you're receiving direction for how to think, how to view things, how to operate in this world. Be aware of what's impacting your life. In Luke's gospel, he picks up on this and he begins to even talk about broken approaches that, that even infiltrate us in our Christian faith. 
And so Luke points out in Luke 12, verses 1 through 3, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, and he warns them not about their teaching. There, there is a place where he warns us about the Pharisees' teaching. He warns us about the Pharisees' fakeness. He's saying some of the things they're saying are good, but they're not even doing the very things they're telling you to do. Watch out for fakeness or hypocrisy. Be aware of just having the name Christian. Having the list of the, the, you know, these are the right ideas, but it doesn't actually permeate your life and affect how you live. Be aware of that. Paul picks up on this even more, and he begins to talk to believers who were rooted in a secular culture, in Roman culture, Greek culture. And he warns against two different things. He warns against kind of counteracting that culture by getting very rigid and legalistic. And he also warns against compromising or looking a whole lot like the secular culture that you live in. And so Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 9 especially, really warn against this legalism. And again, he uses the phraseology of leaven. Same terminology is used. And when he warns against compromise in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to read to you verse 6, and then the continuing verses explain the sort of immoral behavior that they, they've been willing to compromise. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? See, the same thing Jesus said that's good about the leaven of his kingdom, Paul's saying it's also the same thing that's dangerous about the leaven that this world has to offer. That, that if we're not aware of, if we're not careful, we pick up, we absorb like a sponge the kingdoms of this world that are around us. Friends, just at the most basic level this morning, I, I wanna encourage you, if you can't easily identify the guiding force of your life, <laughs> if you can't easily identify what your worldview is and where it comes from, what gives me direction, what helps me understand how I view things, if you can't easily identify that, I would challenge you, I don't think we accidentally fall into Jesus' kingdom. Make sure you're not oblivious to what has leavened your life. Am I absorbing influences from the culture around me, even unaware, that are having a, a larger impact on me than the life of Jesus? Or when I, when, I, when I look at and consider my life and the thing that is my anchor and my foundation, the thing I refer back to as I'm considering where to stand on a particular issue, how to make a certain life decision, how to handle this interaction with someone, is my anchor point, is my aim fixed on Jesus? Listen, I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm not talking about getting it right all the time. I'm saying what is the source that you draw from that fuels who you are and how you view the world. Beware of the leaven that is around you. Do you know 
what is permeating your life. Something is. Something is. Do you know what it is? So let's not be oblivious. Number two, there are times for us as followers of Jesus where we've answered that first question. We're like, you know what? I I don't think I'm oblivious to what is permeating my life. I I believe it's the life of Jesus Christ. I want to be rooted in God's word, trying to follow him. And so then there are times where, where it is obvious to us the leaven that is out there around us. It's obvious to us the leaven that is influencing the culture of our day. It's even obvious to us where other believers are falling prey to broken ideas, broken philosophies. And we see it like it's clear as day to us. That thing right there is in contradiction to the Jesus that I know. It's in contradiction to the word of God. I see it. It's, it's just clear to me. Am I, am I the only one that ever has those moments where it just is real obvious? That over there is messed up and it's wrong. And it's heartbreaking when I see it in the world and it's doubly so when I see it in the church. And so the question for us is, what do we do then when we recognize these broken or false kingdoms that are permeating the culture around us and maybe even working their way into the church. What do we do in those situations? Well, we're gonna continue on in 1 Corinthians chapter five, the same, same uh, stuff we were in just a minute ago from Paul. He's talking to the Corinthian church and he says this, verse nine. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Okay, now, first of all, I, I do want to be clear Paul is identifying an example of broken thinking in a culture where we normalize or make something okay that is the opposite of what God's word says. And so he's using specifically the issue they were facing, which was sexual immorality. Well, man, we sure don't face that in our culture, in our day. We do, obviously, right? Yeah. So I want you to see that, but I also want you to see not just the specific example he's giving. I want you to see that he's highlighting acceptable, normalized behavior in the culture that runs counter to the kingdom of Jesus. And he's gonna tell us how to interact with that. So he says to you, I warned you not to associate with this. Verse 10, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. with me? Okay, just checking. It's quiet. Crystal wasn't quiet. She was with me. Or the greedy. Okay, so you see how he's expanding it to other things that, that influence in the culture. Or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would not, you would need to go out of the world. She's like, look, you live in this world and you are going to be surrounded by worldly outside influences that stand in opposition to God. Those exist now, they existed then, they will exist till Jesus comes home, okay? And he's saying, you you have to literally just remove yourself from the world to disassociate. And God doesn't call us to that. In fact, he calls us to be in the world, not of it. But now I am writing to you 
not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. Do you see the distinction between the two? When we see brokenness in the world around us, in the culture around us, we shouldn't be going, oh, I can't believe that. We should expect it. The world's broken and fallen and they need Jesus. But what absolutely needs to be identified and dealt with is when the church starts to look like the world. There is to be a distinction. And so anyone who bears the name of brother, if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed, is an idolater, a reveler, a drunkard, a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. I fear we do the opposite. I fear that far too often the church settles and accepts compromises that we make with the world. Influences we allow the culture to have around us. And we don't. We don't call it out. We don't deal with it. We don't address it. And instead, we divert our anger outward, the very place where God's telling us, don't do that. We shine a light to those who are outside so that the people in darkness might go, man, I'm getting tired of this. There's a light shining over there. And they're drawn to it instead of repelled from it, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But there is a time and a place for for recognizing and dealing with the obvious things that run counter to our faith. So how do we handle those situations? Okay, man, guys, I want y'all to hear this because I believe most of us just kind of lean a certain way or the other here. But I believe God is calling us to hold two things together at once. Guys, first and foremost, we are called to love our enemies is what we talked about last Sunday. I did that for a reason. I preached last Sunday's message first. We're called to love our enemies, to love people, but we are never called to agree with them. Just because the world tries to tell us that agreeing is loving does not mean we have to accept that definition. I am called to love the person in front of me. I'm called to love my brother in Christ who is in front of me. I'm called to love the world. Listen, what Paul doesn't say here is in order to win the world, go compromise with them. He doesn't say that. He makes it clear to be distinct. But he also makes it clear not to judge. Let God take care of that. And so we are to love our enemies. See, here's what we've got to understand. Jesus is brilliant when he uses the idea of leaven, all right? When leaven mixes in, it becomes a part of the batch. Have you ever noticed when you've tried to disagree with someone how much they feel like you are attacking them personally? 
Of course, we don't do that. When somebody's pointing out something in me that I need to grow and I don't take that personally. See, what happens is the broken ideas, the broken philosophies that become accepted, that we take in, we don't just hold them separate from ourselves. They work their way in. And, and I take it in as a part of my identity. And so one of the things that is so difficult about walking this out is, you know, we like to use that little Christian phrase like, love the sinner, hate the sin, yet the sinner feels pretty hated <laughs> often when we're trying to interact with them. We have to understand this. It makes it difficult. It does. Because these ideas that permeate, they're, they're taken in. Listen, there's a time and a place for, for an entire message or a few messages about an issue like homosexuality, okay? So I'm not gonna go way down that road. But I, I will just tell you one of the things that makes it so challenging to effectively communicate God's incredible love and grace that is available to everyone. One of the things that makes that so difficult to do is, is when I bring up what scripture clearly teaches about certain behaviors. And what's happened in the culture is we have accepted the idea that that is who I am. This is my identity. And, and that has been so normalized in the culture that I can't even talk about it without hating that person, being bigoted towards that person. This is the environment that we live in. Are y'all are getting this? Is this making sense? It's not just unique to that issue. It's just one that I know we're aware of. The philosophies, the ideas that we struggle with, they, we take them in, they become part of us. And so a lot of what happens is when we're trying to deal with this, Christians can settle into this thing where we recognize it's wrong, we know it's false, and especially when we see it in the church, like, I'm all for it needs to be dealt with, right? Like, I'm all for that. And so a lot of believers fall into the side of, like, we just settle for blunt force trauma. <laughs> I'm attacking that thing head on. And I am loving you right now, whether you realize it or not. <laughs> we settle for that. But the solution that other parts of the church have come up with is instead... Often well-meaning Christians come along and they begin to apologize for the truth. Or they try to redefine the truth. And they try to compromise under the guise of loving. And so when blunt force trauma guy over here <laughs> sees compromising truth person over here, he's sitting over there going, but that's so obvious. Don't you see how that's messed up? But the person over here is going, don't you see how that's not love and God is love and isn't that obvious to you? And so we just yell at each other about the obvious thing that the other person is missing. Or maybe I'm just mistaken, right? Both versions harm people. Blunt force trauma is obvious, knocks them over the head. Over here, we're just killing them softly. Neither one's right. Neither one's good.
God wants to break the chains of bondage that broken people have because the false kingdoms of this world is what we settle for. And it's not enough. And it never will be. I don't want to pretend this is easy. I don't want to pretend this morning like it's an easy answer. How do we navigate that? How do I speak truth in love? And, I, and I'm going to tell you, even if you're doing a really good job of that, and you're walking it out as faithful as you can, you'll still get misunderstood. You will. And you'll mess up. But the truth is, we are called to deal with the obvious things that stand out. And I do believe Jesus gave us a picture of a good place to start. And so I want to leave you with the third thing this morning that we need to consider. And that is where our vision has been obscured. We talked about being just completely oblivious. We've talked about the broken things that are obvious to us. I pray that we'll pay attention and allow Jesus to reveal where our vision has been obscured. Because I believe for many of us, we think we aren't oblivious anymore. And we're pretty sure that we figured out what's really obvious out there and so we're on the right track. And we're missing the stuff that has made an unholy alliance in our lives and in the church and we don't even see it. And so it's ripping us off from, from really experiencing the kingdom of God. And it's definitely ripping off a hurting world around us to see him for who he really is. And so the place to start to learn how to interact with the obvious that needs to be touched is to deal with how my vision is obscured. And that's what Jesus is talking about right here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? There's the obvious but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Guys, the real danger to us, to the church, to you personally, the real danger is not the obvious kingdoms of the world that they are falling prey to. I'm going to say that again. The real danger for you and I, the real danger for the church, is not the obvious kingdoms that they are falling prey to. That will always exist. The real danger is the unholy alignment, the mixing of kingdoms that happens within us. It's the one that I don't recognize in me that is really causing the most harm. I, I believe this. 
We spend so much time in Christian circles focused on watch out for that over there. Watch out for this over here. Here's what's wrong over there. Here's what's wrong over there. And then we, we find the circles of people that agree with us, and so we all get on the same train together. There's far too much reflection on what's wrong out there and not near enough honest reflection about what's going on in here. What's going on in here. Something, something really, really interesting about the kingdoms of this world. They all like disagree with each other and fight with each other. And so one of the things that can happen for us as believers, because the kingdom of Jesus stands apart from all the other kingdoms of this world. So I'm over here following Jesus and I'm under his kingdom and his authority. And there are certain things that stand out to me as very obviously against him. And then these guys over here are saying, yeah, we're against that too. And so we think we see a common ally. We recognize the obvious. We align with the less obvious. And we don't realize it is intermingling with our faith. And it is just as much affecting us and the church, and it's misrepresenting the kingdom of Jesus because we make these agreements, these alliances. And listen, guys, this happens on both sides of the aisle. And so if you, if you lean right and you're going, man, I see all kinds of places in the kingdom of Jesus, in the church in America, where that left side of the aisle is making unholy alliances, and that's super obvious to me. I'm not even saying we're wrong to address those things. They should be. But what I am saying is, over here, we get blind to doing the same thing. We get blind to the alliance we're making over here. Jesus was an equal opportunity offender. He was. There's the Roman secular culture of the day ruling. There are these different sects underneath of that. S-E-C-T-S. <laughs> Underneath of that, I don't even know if I spelled that right. I should never, ever be spelling anything out loud in front of people. Um, there are these, these different, the Jewish culture that Jesus was ministering into are under that. And so the Sadducees over here have their following and their ideas of what's right and what's wrong. And the Pharisees are over here with their ideas of what's right and what's wrong. And they're a little more theological in their solutions. And then he mentioned the Herodians over here. These are the people putting their trust in Herod. What's Herod? He is a political leader that will take up our cause to protect us from the broken Roman culture that is gaining more and more control and influence. And so in hoping that the Roman culture won't win the day and hold sway and influence, I will align with this man-made kingdom that's gonna help protect me from them. Do I need the crayons and the paper this morning? Guys, I, I'm not talking about the fact that, that obviously there are times where I should absolutely take up my duty to go into the voting booth 
and pray my guts out <laughs> that God can use that realm to do some stuff. But I'm telling you, when we are just absorbing content that masquerades as news, and it, it really, on almost all sides, it amounts to gossip and slander. Very little of it is sharing news and information. And I'm nodding my head in agreement with you about that side over there and how they do that, but we better nod our heads in agreement with how this side over here does the same thing. And we allow our political alignments to direct our faith instead of the other way around. All other kingdoms in my life need to bow down to Jesus Christ. And so the kingdoms that are obvious to me that don't line up, I need to take my clear stand there in loving alignment with Jesus to rescue brothers and sisters. See, he doesn't say only deal with the log in your own eye. He just says, when you deal with the log in your own eye, then you might have a little bit more clarity on how you can lovingly help someone else. I guarantee you, you experience a finger getting stuck in your eye to pull out a sharp piece of wood and you might be a little more careful in helping someone else remove the splinter that's in their eye because you know the pain. We are not ready and we don't even have a right to start addressing the other kingdoms that we see that are broken within the church and outside the four walls if we won't first do the real work of deciding, Jesus, is my view so obscured that I think I'm operating in your kingdom and I am not? Jesus, I need you, the one who heals the blind, to come remove the log out of my eye. And man, when I begin to see a little bit more clearly and realize the fog that has been lifted, realize the joy of experiencing the kingdom of Jesus who loves me and the freedom that is coming, and I begin to recognize that when I am looking at other people, whether they're on this side or this side, they're in the church or outside the church, I see other people who are desperately in need of that same kind of relief. Then maybe I'll have a starting point on how to speak the truth, uncompromising, in love. Because that's what we're called to. Is this making sense? Even if you don't agree with me, ask Jesus about this. Ask him, Lord, have I just been oblivious altogether? Am I just kind of cruising through life and I don't even stop to think about what's affecting the way I view this world? I don't even stop to think about the ideas that are permeating my heart and life. I'm just taking them in and I, I'm not even realizing it. I've just been oblivious. Or Jesus, I'm very wrapped up and concerned about what's obvious, but the truth is I haven't dealt with the fact that my own view is obscured. The good news is where we started. The good news is his kingdom will permeate and take over. It'll even eat up all the garbage that has gotten in there that needs to go. You know what yeast does? It eats the sugars. Just turns them into vapor. 
That's what Jesus' kingdom's like. So I'm going to mash two verses together, and we're going to read these in close. I want you just to consider what permeates your life. We're going to read Jesus' words in Matthew 13, 33, and Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I want to be made new by King Jesus. I want his kingdom to rule and reign in my life. I pray we would all consider what permeates Jesus, simply, we, we just say to you, God, we need you. We need you. This, this world needs to see you, the God of all truth, the God of all love, the God who breaks chains and sets the captives free. God, I need that in my life. I need it in my home. My church community needs it. God, the city of Knoxville needs it. Lord, I pray that you would talk to me, you would talk to my friends, and that we would just simply invite you to help us answer the question, what permeates my life? Whose kingdom is ruling in my heart and mind? God, wake us up to places that we've been oblivious. Help us to, to learn more and more how to address the obvious broken things going on around us because it needs dealt with. Lord, would you help us start at home? Would you help us see what is obscuring our view, the ways that without even realizing it, we've allowed the culture to intermingle with you. But a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And so we give you the throne. We give you the throne. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.